0: Part 8 of our series on Ephesians, Love and Respect. If you've missed the previous seven parts, don't worry, they're on our church website. But go with me to the book of Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians. It's in the New Testament, a little bit after the Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 of all places looking at some words that maybe you've heard before, maybe you've heard even quoted to you or around you before. Today we're going to study them with a fresh heart. Ephesians chapter 5. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Let's bow our heads for a prayer as we dive in. Father in heaven, we want to hear from you. We want to give you permission to speak to us. That's not an order God that is just an inclination of our heart to align with your heart because you are the God who speaks from the very first page of this book you are the God who in the beginning spoke you said there let there be light and there was light and Lord you are the God who is wanting to communicate not just to create things around us but to actually recreate things in us. And so we pray for the power of the living word of God to be experienced in our hearts today. We thank you, Father, that this isn't dependent upon a mere person or a personality to to be able to hear from you. This is your Holy Spirit who speaks to us, the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. And so, yes, we're opening these pages, but more than just reading words on pages, God, we want to hear the living voice of the living God. So please speak. Give us ears and hearts to not just listen, but to live according to your word. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if you've been part of this series, you, you remember that Ephesians is a deep, deep book, right? We've got so many themes in the opening chapters about God's saving grace, his amazing grace, and also his uniting grace. And then from chapter three, four, five, the last half of the chapter, we've been discovering that Paul is really, he's trying to express the practical applications of what grace actually looks like when we live it out by faith. And so we've looked at things in chapter 4. We've looked at things in chapter 5. I love how chapter 5 starts. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of who? Be imitators of God. Have you, I mean, you, you look to people in your life and you imitate them. You tell jokes like them. You laugh like them, but do we imitate God? And that's what Paul is saying. Be imitators of God in what way, in what manner as dear, what as dear children? Yeah. Yeah. As dear kids kind of look up to their fathers or mothers and want to do things just like them. I don't know if you've ever had a play kitchen set in your home with, with little ones around, but when, when, uh, when mom or dad is cooking in the kitchen, those kids are right there doing it along next to them. And so, this is what Paul is, is asking that when we live out grace, we live the life of Jesus, that our lives look like God. And going on in the chapter, we looked at this last time, Uh, we we looked at three ways in which we imitate God, we imitate him by walking in love, by walking in light, and then later on in the chapter, by walking in wisdom. But now what we're going to do is we're going to start from verse 21 and go to the end of the chapter and look at, okay, if we want to walk in love in light and in wisdom, what are the realms in which we walk that way? And Paul starts launching into three realms, three contexts, three arenas, in fact, three relationships that we walk in light, that we walk in love, that we walk in wisdom. The relationships that he talks about are the relationship of marriage within the home, the most intimate of relationships. And then the, the relationship between parent and child. And then the relationship in, in, in our workplace, between employer and employee. It kind of goes from uh, expanding circles of influence, if you will. Today, we're just going to focus on the first realm. How grace looks like, what we live like when we imitate God in our marriages. All right? Okay, so, uh, so make sure that, that your spouse, if you're sitting next to him or her, uh, is awake. If, if you're not here today... Um, As someone who is married or is expecting to marry, um, I believe that God has things in store for us, for all of us to hear, because really this is about Jesus and his church, as we'll find. Okay, So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 21 is a hinge verse for this. It kind of summarizes what was before, and it launches us into the next. And the New King James reads like this. Submitting to one another... In the fear of God, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In other words, it summarizes when we're walking in love, light, and wisdom, we're going to walk in a way in which we submit to one another. And in fact, when it's, it's not just summarizing the past, but it's also launching us into what's ahead. In other, ways, in other words, when we talk about how do we live out grace in our relationships, how do we imitate God in our relationships? It equals submitting to one another. Mutual submission. This is a kind of a key phrase that I think Paul is really unpacking for us most in depth in Ephesians chapter 5. And this mutual submission, when you think about this, is really the keynote of the Godhead. You know, Paul in chapter 5 is saying, imitate God. Well, how do we imitate God? In verse 21, he gives us the keynote of how to imitate God by mutually submitting to one another how does God submit to one? I tell you what, mutual submission in the Godhead is what makes the Trinity so beautiful. It's what makes the Trinity so beautiful. It's what makes three become one. It's what makes unity even possible. It's not that one is greater than the other, superior or above one or the other, but they mutually and voluntarily give to each other. And that, I believe, is the essence of love. So when 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love, this, Paul is now kind of giving the head knowledge of what that really looks like. It's by mutual submission to one another. And I believe this is exactly what Lucifer missed. Though he had the front row seat to the the throne of God, this is what Lucifer missed. When he said in Isaiah 14, in, in his heart, he said, I want to be like the Most High. He was thinking about the position of God not the character of God, right? And this mutual submission is what Lucifer missed. He missed the point. He wanted to imitate, imitate God's capabilities, but not his character, not his power to rule, or he wanted his power as if to rule over all, but instead God uses his power to save and serve all. This is, this is the beauty of who God is. And so what does mutual submission actually look like in the most intimate of our relationships? That's what Paul is going to get to. Ready? Verse 22. And I'm going to read just the entire passage that we're going to focus on. I'm going to read from 22 all the way to 33. And then we'll just go back and go at a snail's pace. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, let's take a look at this. Let's chew on this. Maybe you've heard these things before. Maybe this is brand spanking new to you. And I hope that it, in some way that God would speak to our own individual hearts and how we relate to one another, whether or not it's in the marriage relationship, but how do we relate to the opposite sex? How do we understand the people in our lives and what really God has entrusted them with? All right, so we're going to look at things that ladies, that, that Paul wants ladies to hear, and then things that Paul wants the men to hear. All right, so ladies first, right? Ladies first. Okay, so here we are, <laughs> verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Are, now, let's be honest. These words are not necessarily um, thrown around with. <laughs> okay. If this, this requires sensitivity. Amen. Okay. In other words, this isn't just something we kind of recklessly walk into. What I think Paul wants the ladies in our midst to hear is that submission is something that is, has, similarity to a, has similarity to our submission to Jesus. Okay? The, the very fact that it says wives, submit to your own husbands... As to the Lord, in other words, submission to, to the husband is to reflect the church's submission to Christ. It's voluntary. It's, it's a response of love to love. In other words, when, when the church submits to Jesus, when the church looks to Jesus and says, I want to be in relationship with Jesus, this is not out of coercion. This is not out of duty. And so when, when Paul is speaking to wives in the Ephesian church and to the church at the end of time, Paul is writing and saying, look, your relationship to your husband ought not to be out of duty, but of voluntary submission. Do you hear that today? It's voluntary. It's a response of love, out of love. And I would also say this, that submission is only possible by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? I mean, if you just look a few verses earlier you'll notice that verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Remember, submission is not just relegated to one gender and not the other, but it's submission to one another. But that that phrase in verse 21, submitting to one another, is actually part of a sentence that starts in verse 18. And that sentence starts in verse 18 where it says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with what? With the Spirit, right? And then, out of being filled with the Spirit, the overflow of that is verse 19, speaking to one another in this kind of way. Verse 20, giving thanks always. And verse 21, submitting. So, if our submission in the marriage, in the home life, is to be as we submit to the Lord, then recognize that this submission is only going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah. So, as to the Lord is a huge deal. Now, what's really interesting is that in the NIV, it doesn't just say, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, but it says, as you do to the Lord. In other words, this uh, this as comparison is not just talking about a comparison of similarity, but a comparison of sequence as well. In other words... Not just the manner of our submitting, but the chronology of our submitting. Submission to each other is only possible as and when we submit to the Lord. So really, Paul is talking to Christian ladies. He's talking to believing ladies. And if you follow Jesus, Paul says, if you've submitted yourself to his leadership in your life, you will be empowered to submit in your marriage relationship as well. This is what Paul is talking about. And let's not get confused. Let's not get confused by this because in verse 23, there are some really heavy words. It says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let's talk about this a little bit. I think Paul wants ladies in the church to recognize that there is a, a, uh, a distinctness about the relationship of the husband to the wife. And I, again, like I said, it may not be very easy to talk about. It may not be even very PC to talk about this. But there's something Paul wants us to hear. Whatever being the head means, I think we can agree that Paul wants to stir an appreciation for husbands that allows for a wife's submission to be more than just lip service. Yeah? I mean, Paul doesn't just say, okay, just just do this because this is how it's supposed to be. No. He's giving you a rationale. He's giving us a rationale. Why? Because, Because husbands are, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He's wanting to to stir an appreciation for husbands that allows for a wife's submission to be more than lip service, but actually a genuine response, a genuine gift of respect. And let's not get confused or carried away by these terms, please. Let's not get carried away by this idea of of what submission and headship means, because Jesus is our model. And I really believe that this this idea, this concept of male headship has has a healthy understanding, a biblical understanding, but i there's a tendency for this to kind of get skewed and and thrown out to the extreme, okay? So let's follow this. Husbands are head of the wife just as Christ is head of the church, meaning Jesus is our model of headship. Do we follow that? Yes or no? Yeah? Jesus is our model of headship. Check this out. If Christ is the head of the church, then being the head is not about control and dominance. Amen. Yeah. Great. But about care and compassion. Remember, the head of the church, Jesus Christ himself, in John 15, 14, did not call us servants, but friends. What? That's what headship looks like. Not domineering and lording it over, right? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus teaches his disciples a great lesson on what What leadership is all about. If the head of the church calls us friends and not not servants, if the head of the church is not ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews chapter 2, then maybe submission is not about inferiority but about functionality. Do you follow me? If headship, if Jesus modeled a headship that was not about being lord over and throwing your weight around and controlling, then maybe submission is not about being under and being inferior. Maybe headship and submission is really about functionality and respect. When a wife submits to her husband then, she's not admitting anything about being of lesser worth or value than her husband but humbly appreciating different roles in the relationship that they have been given him by God. You'll notice that I'm reading closely to my notes because this is very... (laughs) Okay, so let me read that again. When a wife submits to her husband then, she's not admitting anything about being of lesser worth than her husband, but humbly appreciating different roles in the relationship that have been given him by God. In that relationship that has been given to the husband by God. Do you follow that today? I want to tell you something. Ladies, you have a significant power. <laughs> okay. I've heard it said that uh, husbands may be the head, but uh, wives are surely the neck. You know, <laughs> Turning the head wherever. <laughs> okay, maybe you haven't heard that before. Anyways. Yeah. I want you to know something. Ladies, you have significant power and influence, not just in in the spouse relationship, but in the way you relate to everyone around you. Um, I really believe that this calling to be the head, as Paul describes it, is a sacred appointment that has been lost sight of in the landscape of today's culture. Lost sight of. Paul is calling for men to be the head like Jesus. but could it be that true headship is actually dependent upon a culture or a, a, the environment or a relationship of support that only ladies who truly submit can give? Now let that sink in. I think there are men in our lives that want to be this but find it very difficult or have no clue what that could even look like without the context of truly supportive and submitting from ladies in their lives. And this is what Paul is calling for. This is what Paul is, is envisioning for the church. Okay, so that's what Paul wants ladies to hear. We know that in the first section, but it's interesting because the, the majority of the passage is for the, the men. Okay, directly addressing the husbands. Okay, so what does Paul want husbands to hear? First of all, that the kind of respect and appreciation that wives should view us with is not something to just assume for ourselves. It's not something that we are just entitled to, that we just walk into this world and say, I am the head, look at, no, that's not it. Rather, it is a calling to live up to. It is a calling to earn and exemplify daily. How? How, though? How can I lead and fulfill this sacred calling of being a head like Jesus? How can I do that? Paul tells us, we love like Jesus. And we love these ladies as we love ourselves. Let's read it. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for her. This is what mutual submission from the husband's standpoint, from the male standpoint, looks like. We love sacrificially. We love without end. We love as Jesus loved. That means husbands ought to love, love sacrificially, not just in word, but in active initiative taking selflessness. In verse 26, I love how Jesus love for the church. It has a transforming impact. Notice this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The very words that Jesus speaks to the church have an enlivening effect in the life of his bride, us, the church, right? Notice verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, we're supposed to read this as believers and say, okay, the church, that's me. Jesus loves us like this. When Jesus loves me, he speaks to me a transforming word. That the way I am, the habits I have, the addictions I'm stuck to, don't have to be the defining terms in my life. But the voice of truth, the word of God, can speak in a way in which we become spotless and without blemish. That's powerful. That's the love of God. That's what Jesus' love for his church looks like. And so husbands, do we love like Jesus? Do our words continuously add value to our wives? Do our words continuously inspire her to be the best version of herself? Christ-like love in a marriage will inspire growth in the character of Jesus, just like Jesus' love for the church sets us free to live a transformed, sanctified life. Wow! You want me to say that again? (laughs) Christ-like love in a marriage will inspire growth in the character of Jesus, Just like Jesus' love for the church sets us free to live a transformed, sanctified life. Friends, do you believe that Jesus' love for you actually sets you free to live a sanctified life? It's knowing that I am accepted in the beloved that allows me to grow beyond my past, right? It's not because I I must earn God's love that I must change my ways. No, it's because God loves me that I have the power to change my ways. Okay? In the same way, husbands, let us never place an expectation before our wives as if our love for them is contingent upon a change in behavior or upon a duty fulfilled. Can we follow that? Oh, Lord have mercy. (laughs) This is what... Paul wants husbands to hear it, love like Jesus loves. And then later down in the passage, he kind of changes the, the perspective. He says in verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as what? Do you see that there in verse 28? As their own bodies. Okay, so so husbands, don't just love like Jesus, but love as you would love and care for yourself. He, he says it, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, and what's the next word in your Bible? Cherishes. I love that. Cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. When we love the ladies in our lives as if they're our own, that means that they, they belong to us. There's an identity there that, that there's a oneness and a unity that we accept and we embrace. This is a love that nourishes and provides for us. I'm sorry. This is a love that nourishes and provides for the other. It's a love that also cherishes. I love that word cherishes. We cherish things that are that are of priority to us. We cherish things that that are a treasure to us, right? But what's really interesting about this word cherish in the Greek, it's actually uh, the root word means to warm, to warm, I don't know if this has ever happened when you've gone camping at night and you realize, oh, my sleeping bag is not negative 35 degrees Fahrenheit rated. <laughs> but uh, the people in your tent, all of a sudden, they end up like in the, in the middle, right in the groove. Why is that? Because there's warmth in closeness. When Paul says cherish, he's not just talking about having a priority for your wife. He's talking about keeping them close warming them by proximity there's a there's a subtle thing that happens in marriages it's called distance distance creeps in but paul says love in a way that keeps people close love in a way that keeps people close this is a love that is also because if, if we're loving like ourselves or loving as if we would love ourselves, that means that it's not just nourishing love, it's not just cherishing love, but it's also permanent love. We can't get rid of ourselves. <laughs> I'm stuck with me. There's no escape hatch to this relationship between me and me. <laughs> love your ladies like that. Never a fear that this relationship is going anywhere else. Do you follow me? This love is a permanent love. That's a union and identification that is just as lasting as your own identity. So husbands, love like Jesus. Husbands, love like you love yourself. And here at the very end, Paul wants us to to kind of summarize it all, and in verse 33, it's almost a a summary verse here. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she, what's the next word in your Bible? Respects her husband. Mutual submission, I believe, in, in the male brain is best translated as love. Mutual submission in the female brain, I have no clue, but this is my guess. According to Paul, is best translated as respect. Do you follow that today? Love and respect. It's really interesting. There's a whole ministry based on this love and respect idea. I don't know, maybe you've seen the book. Maybe you've seen the curriculum. Uh, Yeah, anyways. The reality is that we all need love and respect equally. Men need love just as much as ladies do. Women, you need respect just as much as men do. But I think there's a felt need that differs between men and women especially in conflict situations. Interestingly, of a study of 7,000 individuals, uh, 7,000 men and women, uh, there was a question asked, when you're in conflict with your spouse, do you feel loved or disrespected? 83% of men said they felt disrespected. 72% of women said, said they felt unloved. We all need it the same, but we all feel the need for it different. And there's a destructive cycle because when a wife feels unloved from her husband, she reacts in a negative way that is perceived as disrespect. And when a husband feels disrespected, he reacts in a negative way that is perceived as being unloving, though he didn't mean it. That's a destructive cycle. You see how quickly that can go down, right? But I believe that submitting to one another, as Paul calls for here, Submission to one another. Imitating God as dear children in this relationship means I choose to love, I choose to respect my spouse irregardless of whether that love and respect is coming back. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Is that okay? That when we choose to love and respect, when we choose to mutually submit to one another in the fear of Christ... Doing it not for what you'll get back, but doing it for Jesus as to the Lord. Doing it for the sake of being imitators of the one who loves and respects unconditionally, I believe can change the world. I don't know, maybe that's too cliche. I really believe that. Because if we can break that cycle right at the, the hub of it all, the world can be changed. When, God, or when the world sees redemption in the home, the world realizes, okay, grace is powerful. <laughs> I tell you what, a loving and, and, and lovable Christian, a godly home where there's sunshine there, a marriage that is redeemed by grace, that has power to tell the world of Jesus' love that nothing else can, that nothing else can. As husbands and wives hear this, like I said, the reality is Paul wants the church to hear this. Paul wants the church to hear this. Paul wants the church as a whole to hear this message of divine assurance today. Do you, church bride of Christ, do you know how much Jesus has given you? Do you know how much Jesus values you? That he would give himself for you. Do you realize that Jesus values you, nourishes you, cherishes you, even above and beyond his own existence? When Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He never got a verbal answer. The reason though he knows, The reason, though, is because he values you more than his own existence. Wow. Church of God, bride of Christ, hear the divine assurance that he is the one who will love us and respect us, irregardless of our reciprocation, simply because he chooses to. And that's what Jesus demonstrated In a very clear way, not just on Calvary, but hours before in the upper room. Today, I'm going to transition here just a bit. Today we get to participate in the actions of the foot washing and the communion service, a reenactment of that time, because there in the upper room, in John chapter 13, it tells us that, that having loved his own, he loved them to the end, even though he knew where Judas was headed, even though he knew that Peter was about to deny him, he chose to love them to the end. He chose to love and give of himself, irregardless of our response. That's what Jesus demonstrated in the upper room. He loved them to the end, even though his enduring love would not be reciprocated and his consistent love would not be given back. And so today, I'm going to appeal to you, maybe uh, some of us might feel awkward with the foot washing, or maybe some of us have never done this before, but I would encourage you today, embrace this action embrace this activity as two things one a confession and two a consecration when i say confession i mean confessing that our hearts have surely fallen short of this heaven-born love that we've been reading about in ephesians chapter 5 but then consecrate yourselves asking to god to asking god to fill us with this heaven-born love how about that today as we wash each other's feet let it be a recognition yeah i've fallen short of submitting to one another and so I pray, God, I want to give myself to you. Please make me a servant. In the home, outside of the home. How many of you would be willing to say that? In your foot washing, and in your partnering with one another, in your taking of the bread and juice, you want to say, yes, I want to be filled with heaven-born love, just like Jesus. How many of you want to say that today? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I, I thank you so much for the opportunity to study and to Hear and see a sermon in action. God, we recognize that I mean just like you said in Matthew 24, that one of the signs of the times will be that the love of many will grow cold. And so we want today, the things we do today, the things we receive today, we want today to be a resistance to Satan's scheme, to sap the home and our hearts of heaven born love. Instead, Father, we pray the promise of Romans 5.5. The love of God has been poured abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's what we want today because we pray in Jesus' saving name with the family say, Amen.